It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, along with my co-host, Andrea Sutton. Hey, good morning. And we're giving a collective a collective air high five to everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> whoosh! <laughs> it's just a, a big whooshing noise. As everybody air high fives. <laughs> how fun i know right how fun great show today um what's we going have, on uh, coming up in about uh, 15 minutes or so we're going to be talking with our uh, constitutional guru this is two wednesdays in a row um with uh brendan beery constitutional law professor from wmu cooley law in tampa and um we're going to talk about the uh the well, some people are calling it a landmark decision, um, and Chief Justice John Roberts uh, switched over and voted with the uh, liberals to uh, shoot down um, an anti-abortion uh, case from Louisiana, and it's uh, pretty dramatic. We're going to be talking about that and a couple of other interesting things uh, as we continue from last Wednesday, actually talking about recent Supreme Court decisions because they're they're really pumping them out right now, and uh, so we're going to get into that. And of course, I mentioned it's Wednesday, so that means Armchair Politics and Woodrow Stanley is going to join the roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for today's two-hour commentary and analysis about local, state, and national news, uh, combined with, of course, uh, a few. Uh, chosen quotes and the coveted X Files. Yeah, a lot to talk about. Jeez, oh, Pete. There is a lot to a talk lot to about. talk about. You guys, you guys are going to have a lot <laughs> to cover. Well, the last time Woodrow was on, I, I had five or six pages typed up of, you know, news stories and some questions to get the conversation started, and I think we we got through the quotes and we got into something about racism, and the whole two hours ended up being about that. In, uh, wow. It was a very, very interesting conversation. That, yeah. In fact, that show is going to um, repeat uh, oh, coming good. up okay. in, uh, in July. Um, well, that's this month. We're in July now. 
Happy first of July. I know. I've been losing. I've been losing track of dates. This whole year's been a blur. Big blur. Well, yeah, the last six months went by pretty fast. <laughs> the longest senior I'm, skip day ever. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting my Christmas shopping now because you know it's going to happen real soon. Yeah. <laughs> real yeah. soon. Went outside, looked around, went back in the house and came out. It was Christmas. <laughs> no fake. <laughs> oh, Nellie. Yeah. Yeah, the Supreme Court's had a couple interesting decisions. Yeah, that's... that's I can't wait, actually, to hear the convo with Mr. Beery. Yeah, Brendan, be interesting. Brendan uh, has such a good grasp of all... Well, you know, he, he studies that, he teaches that, and uh, so he's, he's always got some interesting uh, comments and analysis of, of what... You know, we, we see the decisions that come out in headlines. Mm-hmm. Or, or talked about on television news or whatever. But Brendan you just never, explains you just how never it all, how, yeah. you know, he, he picks it apart yep. and says, this is why they did what they did. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. I think that's going to be interesting. Well, you never know the way judges will rule. You know, it's just because they're quote-unquote liberal or quote-unquote, you know, conservative. You just never know. They'll surprise you. Well, yeah, and and Chief Justice uh, John Roberts has been a big surprise, and and I think not a very happy surprise for the Trump administration in several cases. Oh, no. Uh, The recent DACA thing that we talked about last week, and and today we're going to be talking about abortion. I think a lot of people thought as soon as an abortion case got to the Supreme Court with the two recent appointments uh, on the bench by uh, President Trump, that uh, Roe v. Wade was going to somehow be overturned, and uh, that does not seem to be the case. But no, we'll get into all of that. It's hard to overturn an amendment. I mean, prohibition was one that was overturned, but I can't think of any others that were overturned other than slavery. You know, slavery, prohibition, and I don't need. I can't think oh, of there any have other. there have been a bunch, but but it happens often incrementally. Yeah, yeah, social you know, changes. A and... series of of court decisions that eventually nullify a previous yeah. court decision, but usually in a series of steps, not like oh, we're going to just change our mind on that one, and, and you know, it's that's no well, longer. I'm going to be blunt. Law. It's I'm going to be blunt. It's kind of interesting that how women's uterus, uterus eye, you know, come into play. I don't know. That's that's just me. Uteri? That's just me. Is that a, is that a word? Uteruses? <laughs> <laughs> Our organs can wreak such havoc, you know. <laughs> it's a word now, Tom. Well, in as much as... Uh, Uteruses uh, play a significant role in people being born. I'd say probably uteruses are the root of of all things, good and bad, probably. Us women have power. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you read any of the dissenting opinions? A little bit. Um, Okay. Okay. 
Justice Clarence Thomas seems to have found his voice during the pandemic. He's uh, all of a sudden <laughs> weighing in on everything. But yeah, he's, he's kind of like the uh, silent, silent one, you know? Well, he has been for a number of yeah, years, exactly. and now all of a sudden he's... Uh, like I said, he's, he's weighing in on everything. I, I want to shift gears here because we just have a few minutes okay. before the break. And um, uh, and we will get into the, the Supreme Court thing in depth after the break. But, right. but I want to shift gears for just a moment. Isn't that a great theme song? I love it. I always picture Dick Van Dyke tripping over, the, over ottoman. the ottoman. Yep. Yeah, yeah. With that, exactly. with that, uh, you know that 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 big glissando and and timpani pop. You know when he falls, it's um, <laughs> that. Of course, the theme song from the Dick Van Dyke show, which was. Uh, the life story of Carl Reiner up to that point. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people... Yeah, that was interesting. If, if a lot of people realize that, but uh, Carl Reiner, who inspired everyone who made you laugh in the second half of the last century, um, passed away Monday evening at home of natural causes at age 98. Wow. And... Um, I really thought he was going to make it to 100 and beyond because there was no stopping this guy. He was an actor, a comedian, a writer, a producer, a director, um, author, and, and award-winning. He had multiple Emmys, and I got a chance to interview him for a full hour back in 2013. Mm -hmm. And it was really <laughs> one of the... That long ago. It was that long ago. and. Wow. Um, he had written a memoir even then and was working on another book. And he was still acting in, in uh, movies and television. Uh, he, he was Oh, the, yeah, he did. Uh, coincidentally, they were running a, a, a Ocean's Eleven um, marathon yesterday on television. And I don't think it Aww. was something that was scheduled in honor of Kyle Reiner. I think it was just the movies were playing. It was something that was scheduled, and it was kind of a coincidence. And so I saw, I think, the third one, uh, Ocean's 13. Um, but uh, Carl Reiner was in those movies and was stealing scenes from, you know, the likes of uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I wonder how his BFF uh, Mel Brooks has taken it. Well, he's written several things on on Twitter and. Uh, oh, okay. I, I would love to do an interview with Mel Brooks and and. I've, oh heck yeah, that would. I've reached out a couple times, just not had any luck connecting. Couldn't get to the right person to to put us together. But, um, I just posted on Facebook 
about tomorrow's show because um, as, as as soon as I read the news that Carl uh, Reiner had passed away, I um, immediately flashed back to my my interview mm-hmm. with him, and it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if if I ever if I ever impressed for a favorite interview mm-hmm. it's Carl Reiner and and I've oh, had some yeah. great ones that I love Darren McGrady who was uh, Princess Diana's uh, uh, chef he, oh he, butler chef yeah okay. he'd, he'd uh, been a chef at uh, Buckingham Palace for the Queen and when mm-hmm. Diana and Charles split up he went with Diana that was a fabulous interview and a lot of fun uh, Tony Shaloub was a fun interview. Uh, yeah. Mickey Dolenz, uh, Rod Serling's daughter, Anne. You know, I've had all oh, these, yeah. these great people and, and wonderful interviews, and I love them all. But if I had to pick a favorite, it would be Carl Reiner. And so tomorrow, um, we're going to pay uh, tribute and, and remember Carl Reiner. In the first hour of the show, I'm hoping we'll we'll take some calls from people, but I will reminisce and tell some funny stories about the uh, interview itself. <laughs> and uh, and then you know that and that's from 9 a.m. Eastern to 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll have the phone lines open at eight one zero three three nine eight two five five. And you don't have to have known Carl Reiner to have been affected by him. Um. You know, whether you remember watching reruns of Dick Van Dyke or you thought he, when he was the, the wheelchair-bound millionaire boyfriend of uh, <laughs> Charlie Sheen's uh, mother in um, yep. Two and a Half Men or his appearances on The Tonight Show or, or you know, whatever, however you uh, remember Carl Reiner. I would love for you to share those thoughts with us tomorrow during the first hour of the show. In the second hour, we're going to remember Carl Reiner in his words with uh, with that classic interview. I, I spent a, a full hour talking with him, and, and we'll have as much of it as we can squeeze into the second hour of the show tomorrow so you can hear him tell the stories uh, that he told in the book he had out at the time called I Remember Me. And how better to remember <laughs> Carl Reiner than to have him remember himself? Exactly. And I, I, I think he would approve. So that's the yeah. plan. That's the plan for tomorrow. But for today, we have uh, a break coming up here, and then we're going to get into uh, Supreme Court stuff with our Supreme Court guru Brendan Beery, and <laughs> uh, that'll be followed by this week's edition of Armchair Politics. Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley is back to join our political uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Sounds good. This, this, Sounds good. This week, is just, week. Uh, this week is just jumping, I'm telling you. Anyway, we are going to take a short break, but uh, Andrea, thanks for helping uh, get things kicked hey. off. And I'm looking forward to our, uh, our fun tomorrow. Um, oh, heck yeah. Remembering Carl yeah. Reiner. So with that, we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, I do. Everybody, it's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. Lady of the house, please. <laughs> you thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky. Soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock. All dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up, yes. The king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in checker money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and um, joining me by phone whenever uh, there are big things going on at Supreme Court, um, we uh, call on Brendan Beery from WMU Cooley Law in Tampa. He's uh, sort of our go-to guy on all things Supreme Court. And there must be uh, a lot going on at the Supreme Court because we just talked with Brendan last Wednesday at this time. And uh, so we're going to get back into it. Last week was DACA. This week's abortion. Next week it'll be Trump's taxes. I, I don't know what it'll right. be. But uh, <laughs> right. but anyway, Brendan, welcome back to the show for, I guess, what's uh, part two of our conversation. On, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, this, this feels kind of familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although I, I mentioned that you, um, you know, have been running around on YouTube with Dan Ray. <laughs> and, and I, hey, are you watching those? Are you, I, you're one of the ten. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually I have watched a little bit, and I, I was going to say uh, uh, congratulations on uh, on the audio improvements and the video improvements as right. uh, as you get used to doing those things. Um, you know all about that, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, uh-huh. But anyway, welcome back, and and thanks for being here. Now, I've heard the decision that was announced this week from the Supreme Court uh, shooting down an abortion-related law from Louisiana as mm-hmm. a landmark decision. Do you think mm-hmm. it was a landmark decision, and, and what really constitutes a landmark decision from SCOTUS? Yeah, I don't think I'd call it that. Um, I'd call it um, surprising to some, <laughs> but I think there's a difference. Between, you know, a difference between an opinion that's surprising. A landmark decision would be one that breaks new ground, um, at least in my mind. And this certainly didn't do that. Um, the thing is, and and it's it's funny. You know, we just talked about this last Wednesday. Um, you know, a sort of a you know looking forward to this case coming down the pike that. Uh, you know, Roberts was going to have a decision. So that's what everybody was, was watching is, <clears throat> is he going to go? So just to set this up in case anybody hasn't been following this too closely, this Louisiana law is identical to a law that the court struck down from Texas four years ago. It's an admitting privileges law that an abortion, somebody, a uh, doctor who's performing abortions has to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. Um, and there's a big debate whether that's necessary or whether it's just designed to put those clinics out of business. Um, and so <clears throat> four years ago, and it was only four years ago, uh, the, the court uh, analyzed an identical provision uh, that came out of Texas and said it's unconstitutional because it's meant to close down clinics and there's no real benefit to it. Well, in that case, Roberts dissented. Um, he, uh, he thought that there was nothing wrong with the Texas law. So you would think, philosophically, right, as a matter of his understanding of constitutional law, he would say the same thing about Louisiana's law. And I'll say this, this has to be a tremendous disappointment for um, people who thought at this point that with the appointment of Kavanaugh to replace Kennedy, you finally have five. You have five justices on the Supreme Court. Does that make uh, John Roberts now the new Kennedy? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, I mean, it's no, uh, it's no exaggeration right now to say that as John Roberts goes, so goes the court. Um, it really is, is a Roberts court now. Yeah, it sure is. Um, 
We also mentioned last time we talked how often he's in the majority. That has something to do with him always being the one who makes the majority, right? Well, yeah, when uh, you're the swing vote, you're always going to be in the majority. <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah, that's a telltale sign, right, that you're the swing, uh, you're the swing vote. Um, but, but this but, has, but, but the, this begs the question, is there, and we've talked about Chief Justice Roberts being um, an incrementalist, uh, an institutionalist, mm-hmm. someone who is, is really caught up in the form, and it begs the question, does Roberts see the need for a swing vote on the court and has decided to fulfill that role? Right. I think that is a great question, and I, uh, it's, and that goes to the really the institutionalist part, right, more than anything. Um, yeah. If, if people start to view the court as just this political animal uh, that swings wildly in the wind, you know, uh, you know the, the way the other branches do. Um, or at least always then, doggedly votes with the majority of whether right. it's conservatives or, or uh, progressives on the, on the bench, right. um, if, if one has the majority, all the decisions are going to be um, right. conservative decisions. Right, utterly predictable, right? Yeah, right. And uh, so that, that's that's what's uh, that's what's crazy about this this Supreme Court term is the the lack of predictability. Um, and this probably tops the list for a lot of people. Um, although I think the the case we talked about last week, the Title VII case, the LGBT case, came close <coughs> uh, on the on the scale of uh, surprising. Um, but you know, it, so when last we talked, I said so he's going to have to make a choice either. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's going to vote the same way he did last time, and that's it. They're going to overturn a precedent that they only set four years ago. That looks bad for the court, and he knows that. Um, the Roberts knows that. Uh, or he's going to going to rely on what lawyers call stare decisis, which means the you know uh, honoring uh, uh, precedent. Right. The the ruling stands. Um, and lo and behold, that's almost the first thing he said in his concurring opinion, right, was, look, uh, uh, I, and he acknowledges it. He said, I, uh, I voted uh, uh, the other way four years ago. Um, I, uh, I still think uh, that, uh, that I was right in that case, uh, but we just ruled four years ago on this issue, and it's exactly the same kind of law, and under uh, principles of stare decisis, um, I'm going to vote to um, to strike down Louisiana's law because it's the same as the law we struck down four years ago. Uh, <clears throat> to be sure, uh, it's it is of particular note, right? That um, there, when you look at the opinions here, there's actually it's actually a four-one-four type split. There's the four liberals, and obviously they have the other four conservatives, uh, right? And and Breyer wrote the plurality opinion for the four liberals. Um, and then there, you've got Roberts in the middle. Roberts concurred in the judgment, but wrote a separate opinion. Um, and that's because uh, he, he wanted to uh, make sure that it's clear um, that we're going back to a standard that is a little bit more um, permissive uh, to the states. Uh, a little bit easier for states when when states restrict access to abortion. Um, so, it, you know, it, when you read uh, his opinion and you and you look at okay, what 
what what propositions at this point have five votes and which only have four? Um, this wasn't as big of a win for the for the pro-choice side as probably the media uh, has made it out to be. Um, certainly, uh, Roberts, in his concurring opinion, he invited future challenges um, to uh, to the the court's um, rules and standards uh, in abortion cases. <clears throat> and I don't know how in the weeds we want to get, but there he, he really did something significant with regard to the test that courts are going to be applying in abortion cases in the future. Um, the the case I keep talking about from four years ago is called Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt. And in that case, for the very first time, the court said that in abortion cases, uh, we apply a standard called the undue burden standard. <clears throat> it's okay for states to regulate abortion to some extent, but they may not place a substantial obstacle, right, an undue burden in the path of a woman who wants to have an abortion pre-viability. That's a line that, that the court has drawn in the sand. Post-viability, which and viability is the point at which uh, a fetus could survive outside the womb. <clears throat> at that point, the state can restrict at up to and including a ban on abortion. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Pre-viability, it's not allowed to place an undue burden on a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy. That's the way the rule reads. Now, in the Hellerstedt case four years ago, the court says, we, this is a balancing test. So, and balancing tests, <clears throat> excuse me, are famous in constitutional law because they're so, you can use a balancing test to come out any way you want on a case. Um, and so the court says, we're simply going to balance the benefit. When the state regulates abortions, what benefit does it achieve? And we're going to weigh that against the burden on the woman. And if the benefit uh, is uh, outweighed by the burden, then the law is uh, an undue burden. And it's unconstitutional. Um, well, uh, Roberts doesn't like that rule at all. Um, that, was, that was a new right, uh, wrinkle that developed four years ago. And the problem with that rule is it makes it very easy for people who challenge abortion restrictions to win. Because all you have to show now is, is not that it's a mountainous, huge obstacle in your path, which was sort of the old rule. What you have to, all you have to show is that the, uh, the burden it places on you slightly outweighs any benefit uh, to the extent that there is any benefit to a law like uh, admitting privileges uh, law. <clears throat> so... In his concurring opinion, he made it very clear he's he's not he's not going along with the balancing test. Um, that he's he's going to vote uh, to strike down Louisiana's law, but he wants to go back to the uh, you know putting a huge roadblock in your path rule. Um, um, so it's okay for a state to restrict access to abortion as long as it doesn't place a huge obstacle in the path of a woman who wants to have an abortion pre-viability. So uh, Louisiana loses uh, because on, on stare decisis, but it's clear now that there are only four votes on the Supreme Court for this balancing test, right? So, so he, did, he did move the ball a little bit. And this is a little bit parenthetical, uh, a sidebar, if you will. Um, but what's you we're talking about uh, Chief Justice Roberts and what he wrote, but um, what's going on with uh, Clarence Thomas? Uh, for decades, 
the guy never said anything, and now it seems like he won't shut up. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's even asking questions, um, you know, and, uh, during oral argument, which he hadn't for years. Um, <laughs> right. But these well, are the kinds of... Uh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I, I was just going to say, has he somehow found his voice in the age of uh, technology and and uh, the the way it's changing the court a little bit? Yeah, he's um, what's happening at oral argument now um, is pretty interesting. Uh, the, the, instead of you know when they're live in a courtroom uh, sitting there together. Um, they, you know, it's just a free-flowing, whoever has a question can ask a question, and they can look at each other and see each other and get each other's nonverbal cues of who wants to say something and who doesn't, but they don't have that anymore because they're doing it, tel they don't even do video, they're just doing it by telephone. <clears throat> and um, so what Roberts has decided to do is that oral arguments uh, in, in the age of pandemic, um, he just calls on each justice um, to ask them if they have any questions, and I guess, I guess, I guess Thomas was he was perfectly content to be quiet, right? As long as nobody was at, you know was asking him anything. Yeah, as long but as he, you don't he call feels on like him. He has to talk. <laughs> right? he's, he's the kid in the back of the class that never raises his hand. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Then you get called on, and he's like, "Well, I guess I better say something." So, uh, so yeah, he's been talking more, but uh, and but these. Uh, these types of issues, you know, uh, there was also a religion case that came down. Uh, those, these are the types of cases that sort of get him going, um, because uh, he he um, has his own way of interpreting the Constitution that's extremely rigid. Uh, he would call it textualist and originalist, meaning, uh, you know, in his view, if the, if the Constitution doesn't say anything about abortion, then it's impossible that somebody has a right to an abortion. Um, of course, uh, you know that 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 that's not a majority view of how to read the Constitution because the Constitution is written in very vague terms. Um, well, like and it's it's not. And 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 my yeah. understanding, as as limited as it is, is that the Constitution was written to um, to curb things rather than allow them. In, mm -hmm. in in other words, it, it wasn't set up to say, "Here are the things that you can do." It's these right. are the things that government can't do. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, even even when it lists rights, um, yeah, I've said exactly that. Uh, so, what you know, what in the Bill of Rights, um, uh, starting with the First Amendment. The First Amendment is not licensed for us to speak. It's a pro prohibition uh, on the government. Uh, if you know, uh, I, I read once where somebody says the First Amendment requires us to express our, ourselves, and I thought, what nonsense! <laughs> no, the First Amendment doesn't require us to do anything. The First Amendment's not directed to us; uh, it's directed to the government, and it's a command that, if it's a, it's totally agnostic as to whether I have something to say or whether I want to practice religion. The First Amendment doesn't care about that. What the First Amendment cares about is that if I do want to practice religion, the government stays out of my way. If I do want to express myself, the government can't stop me. Um, so you're exactly right. That's that's the way to read it. And um, and you know, just to sort of dismiss um, a claim of some kind of a, a individual right to do something without the government's interference. To your point, right? That's the point. Um, to just kind of dismiss it and say, well, the the Constitution doesn't say anything about that. 
Well, the Ninth Amendment says uh, that the enumeration, the listing of rights in the Constitution is not to be interpreted as denying others retained by the people. Um, so the Constitution itself says this is not an exhaustive list of rights. You've got to figure out um, what areas of life are reserved to the people. Um, and uh, so that's what courts have tried to do. But, but Thomas refuses to do that. Uh, he says, nope, doesn't say anything about abortion. Uh, that abortion is not a constitutional right. So, but he's never carried the day. Most even conservative justices usually don't go that far, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in interpreting the text. Um, and, and the uh, what? What was the uh, the case? Uh, the the case about religion? Yeah. So that um, uh, that was called Espinoza. Um, and uh, that, boy, that's an interesting case, too. And uh, now that is a sea change. That case, uh, you might say, is a landmark case. Um, you know, a lot of 48 states have provisions in their state constitutions because, uh, you know, it's not, we don't just have one constitution. We have the U.S. Constitution up there, but each state has its own constitution as well. 48 states have provisions in their constitution that uh, prohibit public aid going to religious um, institutions uh, of any kind. Um, and this is, the, until now, has been thought to be consistent with the Establishment Clause, or you know, what, what might be better called the Anti-Establishment Clause in the First Amendment of the con U.S. Constitution, which requires that the government not establish um, religion. Right? That's Jefferson's famous quote, the wall of separation between uh, church and state. Um, well, what happened is uh, in Montana, uh, Montana developed a scholarship program for private schools. Um, so they're using public money for scholarships for private schools, but was under, under Montana's constitution. Uh, Montana said, well, we can't give this money. We can't use this money for religious schools because we're not allowed to spend public funds on, uh, religious institutions. <coughs> um, now the, there was a, a lawsuit uh, about that, and the court the, here. There has definitely been drift on the court that is uh, discernible. Uh, the court um, there, there's tension between two clauses in the First Amendment. There's the Establishment Clause, which which says government stay out of the religion business, and there's the Free Exercise Clause, right, with, which guarantees us the right to exercise our religion. So, not only is the government not supposed to get in the religion business, it also has, right, it also is not allowed to discriminate against people based on their religious beliefs or practices. Um, so what the court is, has been trying to figure out is where is this, um, the, the, the tension between, let me give an example. <coughs> if a student uh, at a public school who's giving a commencement address, right, uh, if so if a student uh, at a, a formal school function, right, a graduation commencement, wants to say uh, something about uh, what religion or, or, you know, Jesus or something. Um, okay. If, if the school district allows the student to, to deliver a religious speech, right, at a, a formal school function, it's going to be accused of violating the Establishment Clause, <laughs> if this makes any sense, because, right, that would be seen as the government, because it's a public school, promoting uh, religion, and that was what. On the was, other hand, that rationale is what was used to uh, 
strike down uh, morning prayer in schools. Yes, that's right. Um, exactly. And then, uh, but the the flip side of that is, if you stop the student from saying a prayer in school, now you're going to be accused of violating the free exercise clause, right? Because now, <laughs> now uh, you know, in your effort not to promote religion, you're going to be accused of targeting religion. Um, <clears throat> and that is a line that that people have been trying to write to toe for a long time. And up until now, the Supreme Court has said, if you have a, a no aid to religion provision in your state law, your state constitution, that's fine, because the Establishment Clause requires um, that you don't establish religion. <clears throat> well, yesterday, for the first time, the Supreme Court says that a no aid to religions uh, clause in a state constitution discriminates against religion under the Free Exercise Clause. So what Montana was arguing was mere state neutrality, right? Well, look, we're just staying out of the religion business. That's all we're doing. Uh, the, court, the Supreme Court says, nope, you're discriminating against, uh, against um, religion. So that, uh, that opinion seems to render uh, those 48 states right, are going to have to re rework their programs here. It looks like now um, you know, that uh, any, any public aid program, uh, you know, that, that any, any you know, if you're a taxpayer in a state, your money's going to religious institutions, whether you want it to or not, because um, well, and, the and, state can uh, no longer deny that. Former Michigan <laughs> Governor Rick Snyder, um, during a, a, a budgeting wrangle over whether to, to use some of the state's money for private and uh, uh, parochial schools, Catholic schools and other religious schools, mm -hmm. um, and he used the rationale that... Um, that the states mandate certain things that that uh, have expense attached to them, and um, therefore they're unfunded mandates. So the the state right. should actually be providing some funding, and and you know they were using examples like how many fire extinguishers you have to have, and you know these these different regulations um, that uh, states impose on on any public buildings. And, and right. calling those unfunded mandates and therefore mm -hmm. qualifying the schools to get a little, at least a little sliver of the public pie. Right, right. And that all depends on state law. Um, so <clears throat> Montana has a more rigid uh, framework because it's, Montana's constitution is very explicit in saying no public funds at all are allowed to go to religious institutions. So if you have a religious school, you're, you're on <laughs> You're on your own, right? You're not going to get uh, public money. And um, so depending what state you're in, right, you can have that debate. But in Montana, they were sticking to a very rigid constitutional provision. <coughs> and again, the Supreme Court said you can't do that. Um, so that's, um, you know, that, that we, we kind of knew they were heading in that direction. I mean, a few years back, um, they, uh, they uh, a church, uh, well, a, a religious school sued uh, because uh, the state of Missouri uh, wouldn't give it. The, there was this tire tar recycling program. You know, you could use meltdown tires and repave the surfacing on your parking lot, and uh, the state was doing this, but they wouldn't give the, the tire tar to uh, a religious school 
under the state constitution. And <laughs> Brendan, uh, Brendan, I have to put yeah. a comma there and take a break. Can we pick sure, it up yeah, there yeah. on the other side? Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Yeah. Let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hi, as well. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
a place where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, as we continue our conversation with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery. Uh, Brendan, welcome back. Happy to be here. Thanks. Before the uh, before the break, um, well, in the last segment, we were talking about the uh, Supreme Court's decision about abortion, but then we started talking about this recent ruling that had to do with uh, funding uh, public dollars going to private and religious, in, in specifically religious schools, uh, Catholic schools mm-hmm. and other religious schools. And, uh, and, and we kind of got interrupted by the break there. So um, do you remember where we left off? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just talking about this, this strange Missouri case, the tire tar case, right? Where, right, uh, right. Yeah, uh, the, Missouri wouldn't give tire tar to a, uh, a religious school to repave its play, playground, uh, you know, or something like that. And, uh, and uh, now, and, and in that case, the court said, no, Missouri, you can't deny it to these uh, folks just because they're religious. That's discrimination. But in that case, these, these are like, this is like splitting hairs a little bit, but in that case, the court was interpreting a federal statute called RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so it wasn't technically a constitutional case, although it involved a lot of the same types of analysis. So in some sense, the writing was on the wall that the court was going to move uh, in this direction. And, uh, you know, if you read the commentators uh, talking about, um, you know, it's called Espinoza, this case. Um, the basic, what, what basically what people are saying is the free exercise part of the First Amendment is starting to overwhelm the anti-establishment part. Um, that, uh, again, what used to be really just commonly accepted, that a state doesn't have to fund religious any kind of religious uh, organization um, is now gone, and uh, <clears throat> that was sort of a that was one of the things Jefferson actually. I, I mentioned Jefferson earlier. Thomas Jefferson yeah. uh, said nobody should ever have uh, their 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 uh, tax money used um, for any purpose that promotes religion if they don't want to do that. It's kind of one of the rare things where they where where one of the founders linked funding to. Uh, an issue like that, um, and uh, in fact, the court has you know used that uh, in interpreting the First Amendment what what it means uh, in terms of restricting governmental spending on religion. Um, so, <clears throat> the court has been moving for a long time in the direction of saying some government aid to religious organizations, assuming it's not for religious purposes. You know, uh, to your point of uh, Rick Snyder and the budget. That's sort of where it sounds like he was drawing the line. We're not providing them with Bibles or, you know, paying clergy. We're just giving them math books or something. Well, uh, we're, we're, we're giving them money so that they can at least comply yeah. with the things we require them to do. Right. Um, right. Uh, right. He used the, the unfunded mandate concept. But, you know, do, do these same hairs get split when uh, municipalities... Um, you know, do uh, curb cuts and roads and and sewers and and uh, right. water service lines to uh, 
churches and temples. Right, right. Yeah, see, yeah, that's right, because you can reach the point of the absurd, right, by saying that you can't, right, public money can't be spent on on religion. Um, you know, what are you going to stop sending, you know, I mean, cut off 911 service, right, if you come from a church? <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, so the, the court has been, and these are the issues that the court has been trying to dance around, right? Where do you draw the line? So they've been moving in the direction of saying, if it's not, if you're not explicitly trying to use the money to promote religious belief, right, to cause indoctrination, um, for example, and then we'll let it go. Um, but still, the court hadn't interrupted. See, and that's the thing. So the court's saying as a matter of U.S. constitutional law, as long as there's a secular purpose, those are the magic words, as long as there's a secular purpose behind the program, if some government money happens to end up in a religious organization, you know, uh, th- that's fine. Um, and that actually, uh, in that ruling, now legitimizes all this stuff that's been done sort of underground and, and uh, under the radar, like roads and, and uh, water service lines and sewer lines and so on. Right, yeah. All that, all that would be fine as a matter of federal constitutional law. Um, what's different today from yesterday is that until yesterday, the, you know, the court had said that's how we interpret the federal constitution, but they never, never uh, interrupted right, uh, uh, when a state court says, okay, fine, <clears throat> that's the rule under the federal constitution, but under our state constitution, no public money, and not, not to say roads and sewers and everything, but no public money right, from the treasury goes to religious um, institutions. And, uh, well, it, in the, Michigan, for example, I think it's something like uh, $3,000 per student in education mm-hmm. funding. And, um, right. and now, does that open the door then that, that in putting together a budget, $3,000 per <coughs> student can also go to students in uh, Catholic schools? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the, uh, the, the court's holding wouldn't is not broad enough uh to really answer that question uh you know it's they they tend to just say well look we're just looking at the case before us and uh montana has this scholarship program and they're excluding people simply on the on the simply because they are religious and that is religious discrimination so they have they didn't rule beyond that um but but what that means is yeah you can't deny an aid program of some kind to um Right, that you're making available to everybody else. Uh, you can't deny that to a religious institution. Uh, <clears throat> or uh, let me put it this way, actually. Um, I think that where Montana got in trouble here is that they, um, they had this program for private schools but excluded religious schools. I think the, the court would look at public schools differently, um, you know, because there's just diff- a whole different uh, structure to that. Um, so yeah, I, I think this this uh, this holding is pretty much limited to its own circumstances, but it's still a pretty broad holding um, because a lot of states have programs that for for private entities, private schools that they don't give uh, they don't give the same money to uh, religious institutions. I think the age, um, you know, where that's permissible, as long as this court is constituted the way it is now, you know, is is over. Um, and the, and there's very powerful dissents in these because. Uh, you just sense the, uh, you know, some of the justices see a robust role for religious organizations and religion in general in the public square. 
they have no problem with it. They think it's part of our tradition. And uh, so they so they're more drawn to the free exercise uh, part of the First Amendment. Right. People have a right to exercise their religion and do it in public. And right. Uh, and then you have the dissenters who are saying that they're going to the establishment clause. Right. No, no, no. The government is not supposed to establish religion, right? Uh, religion is to it's to happen in your home and in your church, and the government doesn't have to support it. Um, so how much, that's the tension. How, how much longer does the uh, Supreme Court session uh, last before they go into break? Well, you know, they're supposed to be done, uh, you know, issuing opinions uh, in June. And so uh, when I look at the calendar, that we're already a day late. <laughs> um <laughs> And, but that's because of the pandemic. So sure. they delayed oral arguments, so they're delaying. Um, there are eight more decisions that have to come down. Uh, and uh, the big one, as you mentioned earlier, is the, is the president's financial records, uh, whether he has to honor subpoenas um, and uh, from both Congress and from a prosecutor. Or not, not him, but whether his financial institutions have to honor those uh, subpoenas. So we've got um, another one or two of these to do yet before they uh, yeah, wind down right. for the, at the yeah. end of the session. Brendan, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with me this morning. It's always a pleasure. It's always fun. All right. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. As Brendan Beery, he's a constitutional law professor at WMU Cooley in Tampa. Hear ye! Hear ye! The court's in session. The court's in session. Now, here come the judge. 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 Stop eating that fudge. Cause here come the judge. Don't nobody budge. Cause here come the judge. Judge Shorty is presiding today. And he don't take no stuff from nobody. No kind of way. Hey boy, take off the hat. Where do you think you're at? I know where you gon' be if you don't eat my meat. I'm here to tell you.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 